probably in September of last year, my friend Andy Grease and his family got all excited. They saved up their money. They negotiated with all co-workers at work and everybody about when vacation time is going to happen. They looked over all the Disney stuff of how to do Disney just the right way for cheap with three kids. They planned out which hotel they were going to be at. Remember I said this is last November, right? And then the whole world shut down. They didn't buy their tickets to Disney. And instead they went, I think, I mean, it sounded like they went to where you guys go in Alabama or wherever on the, it was a color coast. I don't remember what they said. Orange Beach. Orange Beach. It might have been Orange Beach. But like the vacation, when it, it came time, you know, instead of getting off work at 5 o'clock on Friday and driving as fast as they can to Disney, they didn't even leave till Monday morning because they stayed in town. Why not stay around for a little bit? We're not in any hurry. A little change of plans, right? So my boss... His story is my favorite. Might not be his favorite, but it's my favorite. He's on a cruise ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And you know, on a cruise ship, you get all the food and all the steak you can eat. So he stays up late every night. And one night, he stepped out of his room onto the deck. And he realized that the moon was on the wrong side of the boat. That every night, when he went out of his cabin out onto the deck, that the moon was over here. But this night, the moon was over there. And then he gets out his phone that has a compass on it, and the boat is going the opposite direction. Because in the middle of the night, Europe got closed, and the boat that was on its way to Europe for all kinds of Europe cruise, whatever, turned back across the Atlantic and went back the other way and back to Florida <laughs> instead of Europe. So that's pretty disappointing, right? So here we are in Matthew 27, you guys. Matthew 27, there's this guy, and he only gets one sentence. You think he only gets one sentence. No, no, two, two, but no, you think he only gets one sentence, and then you start looking for him, and he starts popping up in other places. And he's become one of my favorite people now all of a sudden. So Jesus, we talked last week, Jesus has been uh, judged by this illegal court. It is not right that he is going to be crucified. It's not right that he is being whipped and beaten and all this terrible stuff. And he is on his way. And under Roman law, in Jesus' day, any Roman could tell you, hey... Help us do this. And you would have to stop whatever you were doing and help them. So, just to give you, just to really grasp how awful this would be, let's say China takes over the United States. And they have army, Chinese army guys at every corner, right? And at any moment, you're on your way to church. You're just bebopping along, you're heading to the donut bank a little early, and they say, hey, we need you to tow this trailer down to Walnut. And you're like, my car can't even pull a trailer. 
They're like, we don't care. You have to do it. I'm on my way to church. Doesn't matter. You have to do it. I'm not going to be able to get my donut bank. Doesn't matter. You have to do it. So that's what the Roman guards were. They were foreigners. They weren't from Israel. And they could, typically they would slap you with the flat part of their sword just to show you that they had the power to kill you. I mean, it's really humiliating, right? And they would just interrupt you and say, hey, carry this for us. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, when somebody asks you to go one mile, go two miles with them. Because if a Roman that's ruling over you says, carry this for a mile, you had by law one mile. And the, the rabbis and the Jewish people, they would know how many steps and they would go exactly one mile and throw everything down and be like, I did the, what, you, what I had to do. And now, and then they'd just be mad, right? The Romans would just be mad that you threw down their stuff. And then the, the next poor guy, they'd take it all out on him and make him carry it. So they're going along. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-two. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon. Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry the cross. So they tell him, you got to carry this. And it wasn't the whole cross. It was just the top beam, but it was still like 60 pounds of of wood. The other problem is, is that Jesus has been beaten and he has blood. And that's going to be on this bar. And anybody that carries it is going to touch that ick, right? And it's nasty. Like, we would all think it's nasty. But if you're Jewish, under Jewish law, if you touch the blood of a criminal, you're unclean. If you're unclean, you have to do a whole bunch of sacrifices, like a couple hundred dollars worth of sacrifices, by sundown that night, and then you can't do anything religious until the next day at sundown at night. Now, it doesn't say there was a guy from Jerusalem named Simon. There was a guy named Simon from Cyrene. Cyrene is modern-day Libya. What we know from the people around here at this time, these are people, uh, they look like what we would call an African-American, right? They're dark-skinned, they're Africans. Of course, America wouldn't be invented in, for another 1,700 years. But, so it's a black guy around a whole bunch of Jewish people. So why is that significant? So there's the Roman. They're, they're all taunting Jesus. This guy came all the way from North Africa to celebrate the Passover, but he sticks out like a sore thumb in the crowd. Because you got all these Jewish people and you got a black guy in the middle. So you give the Roman guard a little bit of credit that he maybe didn't, he knew all the Jews were going to fight against him if he made him carry this. So they picked that guy. Well, the guy turns out to be Jewish. He traveled. 32 days. The fastest route for this guy to get to Passover is a 32-day journey. So imagine, it's probably once in a lifetime. It's probably saving up all the money you possibly can save up. You might take your whole family with you because you're going to be gone for at least two months. And you've got to provide for them and take care of them, right? You go the day of the Passover. 
You make it to Jerusalem, the holy city, and there's this big mob and they're yelling at this guy. And you don't know what's going on. And you get a little bit closer to see what's going on. And Simon gets yanked out of the crowd by a Roman. You, carry this. And as soon as that huge heavy weight is put on him, he is ceremonially unclean that he can't celebrate the Passover that he traveled for 32 days to celebrate. Ruined. So there he is. He's carrying it. He is ceremonially unclean. This is like the axle breaking on his RV, right? Because now whatever he paid for, he's also going to have to pay for all the sacrifices to be made clean again. It's super hard to do that in the middle of Passover anyway, because everybody's doing Passover. I mean, I, I just I want to really grasp how, how much this ruined things for Simon. But wait. So what does Romans 8.28 say? God uses all things for the good of those that love him and are called to his purpose. So this horrible thing happens to Simon. Simon probably didn't even know about Jesus. If Simon would have been from Galilee, he would have heard about it. If he would have been from Samaria, he would have heard about it. Simon is from North Africa. He is not, Jesus has never traveled around there. He's got nothing, right? So in Mark, so when Mark told this gospel, remember Mark is like the action movie gospel where he's telling it as soon as he can to get the word out. Mark says, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus. So Mark says, Simon of Cyrene was the dad of Alexander and Rufus. And he gives no further explanation. So if I mention Cindy, you guys all know who I'm talking about. I don't have to explain. Cindy is my wife. We got married in 1999. We met at a Bible study. She used to work at a coffee shop. I don't have to tell you that whole story because you all know Cindy. Mark didn't have to tell the whole story of who Alexander and Rufus were because everybody knew who Alexander and Rufus were. So somehow, Simon of Cyrene gets made to carry this cross for this guy. He has no idea who he is, what's going on. His whole Passover is ruined. But when Mark writes his gospel, everybody knows Simon's kids. That's kind of cool. Oh, get ready. So the Apostle Paul, like 40 years after Jesus dies, like years is traveling all over the place. The Apostle Paul gets converted and he, he becomes to speak for, for Jesus. He writes the book of Romans when he's in prison in Rome. And he says at the end, you know how in Romans it's got all these names and you're like, I'll just skip over that. No big deal. It doesn't make any sense. They're silly names anyway. Oh, yeah. The Apostle Paul says, greet Rufus. Remember Alexander and Rufus, the sons of Simon? Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who was like a mother to me. What? 
So now Simon of Cyrene, who is told to carry this cross, his kids are known to everybody that's going to read the Gospel of Mark. And the Apostle Paul says, basically, Simon's wife is like a mother to me. Wow. Something happened, right? All right, I got one more crazy bit. This one, this one took a little bit more digging, and it's kind of weird. In Acts 13, there's this church in Antioch. In the church, there's a guy named Simeon. Simeon, okay, big deal. Well, Simeon is the Greekified version of Simon. And there's a lot of historians that think that Simon from the Cyrene and his family all were in this church in Antioch because the name fits up. And they're all praying. They're worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So Simon of Cyrene, 32 days travel from North Africa, comes in, lands on the day of Passover, has to be made unclean, carry this what in the world criminal's cross, ends up being one of the guys that laid hands on Paul and Barnabas to send them out on their first mission trip. Isn't that awesome? I get a lot of encouragement from that. Because I've seen all kinds of plans wrecked and I've seen expectations totally ruined. But I have a hunch that being like a mother to the Apostle Paul or being one of the people that laid hands on Paul and Barnabas as they were sent out on their mission trip is probably a better deal than celebrating that Passover that year. I would give up Passover that year just to be that guy, right? So they probably carried it for a mile um, from the measurements and everything. It probably was just Simon carried it all the way to where Jesus was crucified. Because it, it was less than a mile walk. They go, they crucify Jesus. So the way the Romans were terrible and they uh, made a game out of how they could kill people. Because they, so, they, they hated the, the Jewish people so bad. And they crucify him. And part of that is they stripped Jesus naked. And it wasn't like they didn't have a Walmart and they didn't have, you know, just go get clothes. When there was a really good piece of clothing, you kept it. And you just did a hand-me-down thing and you took care of it. And they discovered Jesus has this, has this really nice coat. And they basically throw dice to see who gets Jesus' coat. Like, that's all weird and terrible. But it just shows how dirty and nasty these guys are. That while Jesus is there dying, right in front of him, all they care about is who gets the shirt. Who gets the nice shirt? Can I have it? No, you take it. And they are arguing about who gets his shirt. The other thing that this does is this pulls the whole death of Jesus right into Psalm 22. And I'm not going to read all of Psalm 22. That can be y'all's homework. Because it's, it's a great psalm to read through this week. 
Psalm 22, right in the middle of it, he says, They divide my clothes among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. They're, they're gambling over my clothes about who gets what. All of Psalm 22 fits in the crucifixion, but it was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross. So here's King David. King David, hundreds of years before Jesus, is having a hard time and he's all this terrible stuff is happening to him and he writes a song about the horrible things that are happening to him and he didn't even realize that at that time he was prophesying what would be happening to Jesus. So there's Jesus on the cross and you've probably seen the pictures where there's Jesus and then there's two crosses next to him. We don't know if it was exactly like that. We don't know how the layout was. It, it's not necessarily wrong according to archaeology. Um, they like to show off, the Romans like to show off the people they were killing in a real kind of barbaric way. And there are two thieves. Some translations say robbers. Some people think they might have been murderers. These are pretty, pretty nasty bad guys that are being hung on the crosses next to Jesus. They were not whipped. They were not mocked. They didn't have a crown of thorns on them. Um, they're they're kind of like the, the, the media and the news aren't paying attention to them, but they're going through it too. So we don't get the big story. There are people that are walking by in front of Jesus. Because that was the other point that the Romans wanted to put it right there in front of you. Here's how powerful Rome is. Don't mess with us. Here's what punishment looks like, right? All these people walking by, the people on the cross next to Jesus, they're mocking Jesus and they're taunting Him. They're saying, this is Matthew 27, 40. You said you'd destroy the temple and rebuild it. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come on down off that cross. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders mocked Him. He saved others. He can't save Himself. He says he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts God. Let God deliver him now if he desires. And they all mock him. If he's for real, let him show it. If he really is the son of God, let him come down off that cross and prove it. This is the exact same temptation that Jesus had in the wilderness from the devil himself. If you are the son of God, turn rocks into bread. If you are the Son of God, jump off of this big old building and watch the angels rescue you. And now they're saying, if you are the Son of God, come off that cross. What's wild is the devil is talking to Jesus, but whose voice is he using? He's using real people's voices right there standing in front of Jesus to tempt Jesus. There is no way Jesus can get out of this situation. There's no way he can, he can fix it and win without doing something spiritual. Right? He has to heal himself. He has to you know, rebuild his, his arms and his back. He has, to, he has to heal his head. If he's going to come off of it in power and prove himself to be this mighty strong dude and, and kick some Pharisee butt, he has to do something that's not the will of the Father. This is his most tempted 
moment. He has never been tempted to rebel against God the Father more than right now. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't even talk to them. He doesn't even address this mockery. One of the other Gospels we get that one of the men on the cross shouts to the other guy on the cross and says, Quit mocking him! You deserve death, and I deserve death, but this guy doesn't deserve this. And that guy, Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. That guy didn't do any good deeds. He had nothing to gain. He's going to die. But he stuck up for Jesus. Jesus is up there. Darkness covers the land. Um, There have been, uh, what is it, astronomy, astronomy studiers, astronomers, (laughs) astronomy studiers. Um, they play back like where the stars were and where the sun was and all that business. And they found like this period where there was an eclipse that lasted like three hours on a Friday in the spring in Israel. Isn't that awesome? Darkness covered the earth. It says, Jesus cried out again. This is Matthew 27, 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. We know from other gospels that what Jesus yelled was the word tetelestai, which means it is finished, but it means more than it is finished. So when you go, let's say you, uh, you buy a boat because the Romans are making you tow their boat around, you decide to buy your own. And you pay the guy 500 bucks And you're like, let me go get my license and my better trailer and I'll come back and I'll pay you the other 500 bucks, right? So you go, this happened with our Camry. Money, and then when he comes back, he brings you all the money and he wants a receipt. And you take the bill of sale and you write on it, paid in full. And that means you're not gonna come back and be like, well, you still owe me another $200. It means we're done, this transaction is finished. Oh, wait a minute. It is finished. So this word to telestai, they used in Jesus' day on receipts to show that the bill has been fully paid. But then you get into some weird grammar stuff with words that we don't even use in English. And it doesn't just mean the bill is paid. It means the bill has been paid from now onward forever. So when Jesus is dying on the cross and he says it is finished, that's the translation of it. But the the meaning of it is payment has been made from now at this moment all the way on for forever. So why would Jesus on the cross say the debt is paid now and forever? Because he's dying for our sins. Every single bad thing ever, whatever knuckleheaded thing I'm going to do when I'm 72, Jesus has already paid for that. He has completely taken upon himself in this moment every sin ever. Wow. And so when he says, it's paid in full 
from now on for forever. And then he dies. That's a big deal. Jesus, the whipping that he went through, most men died from the whipping. The walk from Pilate's trial to the cross, most men, if they survived the whipping, died on that walk. Sometimes the Romans would just kill him in the street, and that would be the end of that. They could have killed him in the garden the night before and been totally justified, because they're Romans, right? He held on. It even prophesies what time of day Jesus would die on the cross, and he fulfilled that. Isn't that amazing? So what happened when Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Well, it was completely paid for forever. There's a a belief that came up in the Middle Ages that you're only forgiven the sins that you confess. And if that were true, then we would all be doomed. Because how many people sin when they're in a state that they're not going to remember? Right? Jesus doesn't make any reference to that. He talks about your sins being forgiven. Period. There's a teaching that your sins are forgiven up to the moment you were saved. And then from then on, you better live right and not do wrong or else. Well, that's not getting saved, right? Then everybody would get saved when they're on their deathbed. Because... Why would you want it? Why, it wouldn't even be called good news. And Jesus didn't teach anything like that. He taught your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. He didn't say go sin no more. And there's another time where he said quit sinning or something worse will happen to you. But in both of those, the words he used weren't about condemnation. It was just about your life is going to stink if you keep on sinning. So our sins are forgiven. When Jesus died on the cross, every bad thing we ever did, here's how we know it. Here's a wild thing that happens. So when Moses builds the tabernacle, he builds and God tells him and he puts this huge curtain in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is where men can meet with God and that curtain is there to protect people from God's glory. Because God is so holy, you have to have this curtain to protect you. When Jesus died on the cross, Matthew 27, 51, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The temple broke in half because of an earthquake the moment Jesus died. The thing that protected people from God was ripped in half because it was not necessary anymore. If I am full of sin, I have reason to be afraid of God. But if all of my sins are forgiven, it says in Romans, I can come boldly before God's throne of grace. I can walk right up to Him. When, um, you know, when there's been in the White House, when there's been kids in the White House, either with John F. Kennedy or Barack Obama, there were kids in the White House. Who in the world is going to go bother the President of the United States? Oh, and with Barron. Who's going to bother the President of the United States at 3 o'clock in the morning because he wants a cookie? You're going to die, right? Like if I go up to the White House and knock on the front door and I'm like, I want a cookie. Wake up. But their kids can do it. We have been made God's children. 
He has forgiven our sins. We can ask Him anything, anytime. All of these people came back to life when Jesus died on the cross. That's another one of those really weird one-sentence things. All these people rose from the dead and went out and started talking about Jesus. A centurion, some of the Romans that were watching, they saw all of this happen and they said, we really did just kill the Son of God. Oh my goodness. There were women there that were watching from a distance and they name them Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. There are all these ladies there watching it happen. And Jesus dies. All of our sins are taken away. Alright, so to get you ready for next week, I'm going to give you one little blurb. They take Jesus down off the cross. There's this old, 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 Old Testament prophecy that anybody that's hung from a tree or hung up to be dead, that there's a curse on them. But the whole world is cursed if you leave them up overnight. Isn't that weird? Isn't that just a weird, out-of-nowhere law? Like, we're going to give this person the death penalty, and they're terrible, but we're not going to leave their body hanging up overnight, because that will bring a curse on all of us. And so as much as Jesus was hated, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate. Remember how evil Pilate was? How Pilate would just kill people, kill people, kill people? Joseph of Arimathea is so brave, he goes to Pilate and says, Can I take his body down and bury it? Think of how dangerous that would have been. Because Pilate could have been like, I don't want to hear any more of this. Kill you. You're dead. You're dead. But Joseph of Arimathea goes. He talks to Pilate. Pilate says, yes. Take his body. Take it down. Give it a burial. That's why some people think that Pilate still respected Jesus a little bit. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go with Joseph and they watch and they see And guess what? Remember what happened to Simon when he touched that wooden beam that had criminal's blood on it and he was made unclean? Joseph of Arimathea gave up his Passover. He would not be able to celebrate Passover because he touched Jesus' body. So, you know, as we get ready for Thanksgiving, as we get ready for Christmas... Imagine right at the moment of that doing something that would just ruin it, that you can't do anything, you can't participate in it. Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate, though Pilate could have killed him with no question. He took down Jesus' body, touching a dead body is going to cost him hundreds of dollars, and he can't celebrate Passover. And he buries Jesus, and he puts him in his own tomb. Tombs are expensive. You think they're expensive in Evansville? Let me tell you. So in Israel, you'd buy a tomb for the next eight generations. You would buy a tomb that would last a hundred years for all your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids, all their cousins, all their in-laws. You would buy these things. Super expensive. Joseph of Arimathea has one that's brand spanking new. No one has ever been in it. And he gives it to Jesus. He begins it with Jesus. So then they say, 
the Pharisees go to Pilate and they say, hey, when he was alive, they said he was going to rise from the dead. And we think they're going to steal his body overnight and say he rose from the dead. And so Pilate's like, all right, take my army. So they send an army, a whole group of soldiers. They seal the tomb. And we know what happens, but we're not going to talk about it until next week. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we know what happens. Thank you so much that you made yourself unclean yourself. And you died on a cross for our sins. Thank you so much for all of these people that were around you at that time. That, that we can identify with. That we can see, wow, stuff then was just like it is now. And just like now, you are saving people, Lord. And we praise you for that. Thank you so much, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 454 together. sins have been forgiven from here on, from then on, for forever. God bless you. So I think I'm going to do all of Matthew 28 next week. Um,